Hey, you've come to the right spot. If you were looking for the podcast of the Redheaded Preacher for Sunday, September 11th, 2022, you have indeed come to the right place. Welcome to our podcast. The sermon is called Remember Church, Christ, Bosch, and God's Joy. And this uh, service, excuse me, the sermon is uh, based on Luke 15, 1 through 10, primarily, with some references to the other scriptures, which um, text with our you know podcast link is included, Exodus 32 and 1 Timothy 1. This is uh, an intentional inclusion of some pop culture, bringing in uh, Harry Bosch, and uh, also just some personal kinds of questions into the, into the uh, discussion of joy. And I hope that you will find this uplifting, if not a little challenging. It was uh, fun to preach it. And uh, I'm going to stop saying and, but I will stop and ask you to join with me in a brief uh, moment of prayer. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, as it is raining outside right now on this Sunday afternoon, rain down on us as we listen and as we think about what we've heard. Rain down on us with your spirit of understanding, of inspiration, of knowledge, and of joy. Help us understand these passages and how to apply them to our lives that are dedicated to you. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go, and here's Karen. Okay. Our first reading is from the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 7 through 14. Moses has been up Mount Sinai with the Lord, but God tells him to go back down right away. It's an emergency. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored, implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants. 
and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring unto his people. This ends the reading from Exodus. Our epistle lesson is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes about his gratitude for the mercy of God and what this teaches us about God's patience. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example of those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This ends the reading from 1 Timothy. Will those who are able to uh, please stand up for the reading of the Gospel lesson. And uh, staying in the Gospel of Luke, uh, as we are in year C of the lectionary cycle, today's passage is Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Um, any Sunday school students in the audience might notice that uh, the large window on your right uh, illustrates part of the passage. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what about the woman having ten silver coins? If she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she is found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This ends the reading of the Gospel and the Scriptures for today's morning service. 
May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. Three months from now, yes, we'll be in the thick of Advent. Advent leads to Christmas, and the parables Jesus told reminded me of a main thrust of the incarnation. In Jesus, God came looking for us. People look for God, and Yahweh came to the Hebrews in unique ways, including the amazing theophany at Mount Sinai. However, as Jeremiah 31 indicated later, a new covenant was in the works in which everyone would know God and have the law written on their hearts, receiving forgiveness. So a new way of coming to the people was in God's mind. And here in the parables, as well as the thrust of Christmas, we find a core piece. God comes looking for us. God came looking for us, and that has not stopped. Just like the woman who lost her one coin and the shepherd whose flock was down one sheep, a search began. A search began for something very valuable, which was, for whatever reason, lost. One thing we get from these two parables, and is also what Paul wrote about, is that God, in Jesus, not only is searching for what was lost, but did not and does not stop until the lost has been found. As Yoda would say, "Mm, persistent God is. (laughs) If the lost say, nah, the loving, pursuing God does not hear the word never. Even if it were said, where there's life, there's hope, and so Christ, the mercy and the call of God, does not surrender. There is no quit in this God. There was no quit in the shepherd, nor in the woman looking for her coin. Jesus said, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Not quitting. Jesus continued, asking the grumbling scribes and the Pharisees, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search diligently until she finds it? That's Christ, always hoping to touch someone's heart, mind, and life with his self-giving love mercy and hope remember church christ does not give up seeking someone in fictional literature and television who does not give up is now former detective harry bosch he is the creation of author michael connelly and is portrayed in the non-network tv series bosch by the actor titus welliver bosch is no christian He is at best an agnostic, but he has a passion for the underdog, for the murdered kids and victims who are near the bottom of society. If you know the show, 
you'll recall that he's got some photographs of these victims reminding him they lived, that their killer is still out there, and to keep on their cases though others moved on long ago. There's absolutely no quit in Bosch, just as there is none in Christ. Both want justice in their own way, and both are dogged in its pursuit, especially for the forgotten and undervalued. There's another link between Bosch and Jesus. One of Harry's convictions is either everybody counts or nobody counts. There is no one who does not matter. There is a basic level of existential equality. And Jesus also believed that everybody counted and was worth this diligent effort. Do you remember why Jesus was prompted to tell these parables, capped afterwards, capped afterwards by the parable of the prodigal son? Yes, you do. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. The one lost coin counts. The one lost sheep counts so much, the shepherd did something that was very risky, leaving the 99 unattended in the wilderness. Didn't take them to a sheepfold first and then go out. There was an urgency about just even this one. Boys, Jesus was saying, these tax collectors and sinners are coming near to listen to me. They want to hear and learn about the kingdom of God. That's why I came. They count as much as, if not more, than you all because there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Everybody counts or nobody counts. We all count. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, the well-educated and active lay leaders of the synagogues, it's not a, a role in a temple to be the Pharisee or the scribe. The no, scribes were teachers. It's not something prescribed by Scripture. Some of the scribes and Pharisees in his day, but not only in his day, did not think that those people Jesus ate with were worth it. They were beneath Jesus the rabbi, even as they despised Jesus and feared him. Tax collectors who were Jewish were despised for profiting off of collaboration with the oppressor, the Roman Empire. Regular sinners, well, they, they, you know, the gospel doesn't get specific. They could be any kind of sinner. Criminals, persons who had to sell their bodies to survive, those who just never went to temple or synagogue, who did not always obey all the Ten Commandments, who were ceremonially unclean, and so on. They were not worthy of anything, the Pharisees felt, except, of course, some Pharisaic condemnation. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yet in his life and at table, Jesus walked his talk. Everybody counts, O scribes and Pharisees, and you should know it. Lost people matter to God. And guess what? 
These persons want to hear. They have spiritual questions and ideas and are searching for God. Jesus' actions and the parable tell them, I'm going to eat with them and spend time with them because everybody matters to God. Remember, church, while most, if not all of us, already embrace this, it was likely a journey to reach that point. And there are also folks who may accept this intellectually, but not emotionally. Some men and women and youth and kids are reluctant within themselves to approach a seeking God because perhaps they do not themselves feel worthy. They've hurt too many people too many times or they've sinned too much in their own eyes. They've burned too many bridges, shafted too many good people who made the mistake of trusting them or aligned with forces of greed and violence, prejudice or lies. So they can tell themselves, if there is a God, God would not want anything, want to have anything to do with them. Feeling beyond the reach of God or the care of God could also spring from a self-loathing or a low self-esteem, not grounded in some of those things um, of adult choices, but they could be grounded in childhood events, environments, and influences. They may think of themselves as not worth much or worth God's care and seeking, but that is not how Jesus thinks or feels about them. Everybody matters. Everybody counts. The white supremacist movements are based on the opposite. Only Caucasian people, and perhaps Anglo-Saxons among them, matter. There is, they believe, something inherently worthy and superior about them because of their skin color and the heritage which come along with it, only glorifying which parts of that they choose. Everybody who is not among that does not count, or counts a whole lot less. Those who are not heterosexual or cisgender, well, they don't count. They do not matter. No one among those movements is going to go out searching for any of them unless it is to do harm. This is the absolute opposite of the teaching of Scripture and of Christ Jesus. A Christian white supremacist is an oxymoron with an emphasis on moron. Yet, yet even they count. Jesus loves them too, if not what they say and do, and wants them to turn away from those ways and come back to the family and the fold of God, the God of love and justice, peace and community, reconciliation, where everybody matters to God, even if they have breathed their last cursing God. Persons matter to Christ, even if Christ matters nothing to them. Such infinite love. Decades ago when I was in seminary, I got to see a kind of puppet presentation by a Roman Catholic priest, or maybe he was a brother. And what he wanted to get across to the youth that were gathered was that the kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is a party. I do not remember many details, but I do remember, A, that theme, and I do remember that he had a number of puppets jumping up and down like they were rejoicing at a party as part of his presentation. 
Now perhaps because the prodigal son had come to himself and returned to where he belonged with his forgiving father, and who knows where he came down, older brother, perhaps the party echoed the one the shepherd and his friends threw after finding the single lost sheep, or the one that the woman threw with her friends and neighbors upon finding the one lost coin of the ten. He might have talked about the Messianic banquet, foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures and the prophets and the New Testament parallel of the wedding of the Lamb and his bride, the church. These are all parties and the reflections of the realm and the reign of God. When Jesus finds someone who is far away, who, someone who bottomed out and was open to hearing about this loving, forgiving God, and he, she, or they respond with faith and joy, heaven throws one of these great parties. Lost people matter to God, every single one, whether they believe it or not. There is joy, Jesus said, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. More joy than over 99 people whose lives were changed by Christ already. I admit I do not preach on joy frequently. But I do appreciate it when you folks have taken turns volunteering your own experiences or views of joy when lighting the Advent candle of joy. But perhaps I sometimes myself refrain from preaching on joy, wondering if some folks are afraid of joy or of admitting they're not super familiar with it in personal experience. Are some of us not exactly sure how to interpret that word in a faith concept, faith construct. I still recall one of my colleagues sharing that on the track to ordination and having gone through a lot of struggles in her life, was encouraged in this interview to find some joy in her life. Her tearful reply was, how do you spell that? This may explain, to some degree, why I ask if we in the mainline churches really get this party-throwing joy of God, or the joy that we are told rocks the halls of heaven, is it possible that some of the mainline churches do not understand or embrace or do not share this joy that God gets when sinners return to God in response to the good news? How it... How excited do you or I get when we see someone positively responding to the pursuing love and call of Christ? I know that some of us do. That's something we are alert to, have been praying for, and are all about. But I have a hunch that a lot of mainliners do not think about heaven's joy all that much. For whatever reason. Maybe it's not preached about enough, and if I preached about it more, we'd be more aware of it. The early church had to preach on things like this calls to conversion, for the flock to come back, to join the new covenant. The older church had to, to get the church off the ground and to spread the good news of God's love all around the planet. 
And with the crazy violence, economic inequality, self-righteousness, and decline in simple civility between strangers, maybe we should be a little more thinking about reaching out to those who don't even know what church is, because they're out there. At the very least, and I am coming to a close, to get a little handle on what God's joy in heaven is like, think of what or who or where bring you joy. What brings you joy? Not happiness necessarily. Joy is something, it's a deeper, harmonious strumming of the spirit. And no, seeking joy or thinking about what makes you joyful is not an exercise in deciding which clothing or vase to keep. The World Series championships of 05 and 2016 bring some lasting pleasure and perhaps joy to long-suffering fans. Achieving one's own lifetime ambition. I made it. I did it. We did it. Whatever. By the grace of God, that brings joy. Successfully kicking a bad habit. Reconciling a broken relationship. Sharing your faith in a way that you're comfortable with and being met with respect, if not outright, tell me more. And perhaps it's a soaring piece of music you listen to, a good painting that you have finished at long last, or the progress of your children and grandchildren. Multiply that joy exponentially, and that's part of what God's joy in heaven is like over one sinner who repents. Church, let us remember Christ, Bosch, and God's joy. Because these parables were told to the religious of Jesus' time. Now, we are not to be equated with the scribes and Pharisees, but there is some parallelism allowed, parallelism allowed, as they were leaders in this synagogue and temple, and we are active and often leaders in our churches. Jesus did not think that these particular scribes and Pharisees got that God's love is a no-quit, everybody-counts grace, and that they should know this. They should stop their grumbling and join him and them at the table. Y'all know better, he was telling them. And who knows what seeds he planted? In Exodus 32, a difficult passage to hear, Moses had to remind an angry Yahweh that these horribly erroneous Hebrews were still God's people, saved from Egypt. It was interesting, sometimes when I hear the lector read something, I think of something, I didn't catch it when I was reading it through. Moses, uh, God said, the people you led through, and, <laughs> and God, Moses said, no, the people that you led, led through, uh, kind of like the older brother, your son, your son, your this son of yours, kind of like pointing the finger of some kind of a blame. So going back to the people of Egypt, uh, people from Egypt, that uh, Moses was going to bat for them. And he said, they're still your people. You saved them from Egypt. They are part of the line to fulfill your own covenant promise that you made to Abram and the patriarchs. Remember, these are your people. That's your plan. Now, I know sometimes I need someone to remind me of what I'm really about. I think sometimes we all benefit from if we just 
get like off on attack and maybe it's a burst of anger or a burst of something and we say or plan to do something and somebody else says, that's not really you. Hold on, think about this. And we can forget our mission sometimes and go off track, even if it's temporarily. Well, Moses brought God back. Sometimes we might benefit from that. If we ever lose track of God's pursuing love for everybody and the joy it brings our Lord when the lost are brought back, may these parables remind us and bring us back to who we are and why we are here. Servants of the light. Remember, church, Christ, Bosch, and God's joy. No quit. Everyone counts. And the value God places on how folks respond to his love. Amen. Hopefully I've left you with some things to celebrate and some things to think about. I also wanted to mention that in the sermon you may have wondered, oh, there's no reference to September 11th, you know, the attacks of 21 years ago. And... Um, or of the passing of, you know, the Queen of England. And those were touched on in the pastoral prayer, which of course is not part of this podcast. But be assured that uh, those seminal events, an anniversary and also a worldwide affecting passing or death, were not forgotten. Uh, they were just included and lifted up in another part of our service this day of the 11th. Thank you again for listening, for tuning in. Um, I think that next week we'll probably hear uh, something on of Luke 16. No, that's today. Sorry. Um, but also Luke 16, 19 through 31, because I'm trying to stay a lot in Luke this year. And um, But obviously I thought the other passages that we heard this morning or today, whenever you listen from Jeremiah 8 and 1 Timothy 2, were worthwhile for whether they're incorporated into the message or not. I think they're good to hear. Having said that, with appreciation once more, may God bless you. May God bless those whom you may be praying for to draw near to God and be discovered, be found. And may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.